0: But if you'll turn with me into your Bibles or program guide, three separate passages of Ezra this morning. This Ezra went up from Babylon, Babylonia. He was a scribe, skilled in the law of Moses, that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. And there went up also to Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes, the king, some of the people of Israel, and some of the priests and Levites, the singers and gatekeepers and the temple servants. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king, for on the first day of the first month he began to go up from Babylonia, and on the first day of the fifth month he came to Jerusalem, for the good hand of his God was on him. For Ezra had set in his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. After these things had been done, the officials approached me and said, The people of Israel and the priests and the Levites have not separated themselves from the peoples of the lands with their abominations, from the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Egyptians, and the Amorites. For they have taken some of their daughters to be wives for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy race has mixed itself with the peoples of the lands. And in this faithlessness, the hand of the officials and chief men have been foremost. As soon as I heard this, I tore my garments and my cloak and pulled hair from my head and beard and sat appalled. And all who tremble at the words of the God of Israel because of the faithlessness of the returned exiles gathered around me while I sat appalled until the evening sacrifice. While Ezra prayed and made confession, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, a very great assembly of men, women, and children gathered him out of Israel, for the people wept bitterly. And Shechaniah, the son of Jehiel, of the sons of Elam, addressed Ezra. We have broken faith with our God and have married foreign women from the peoples of the land. But even now there is hope for Israel in spite of this. Therefore, let us make a covenant with our God to put away all these wives and their children, according to the counsel of my Lord and of those who tremble at the commandment of our God. And let it be done according to the law. Arise, for it is your task, and we are with you. Be strong and do it. Then Ezra arose and made the, uh, the leading priests and Levites and all Israel take an oath that they would do as had been said. So they took the oath. Then Ezra withdrew from before the house of God and went to the chamber of Johannan, the son of Eliashib, where he spent the night neither eating bread nor drinking water, For he was mourning over the faithlessness of the exiles. And a proclamation was made throughout Judah and Jerusalem to all the returned exiles that they should assemble at Jerusalem. And that if anyone did not come within three days by order of the officials and elders of all his property, that all his property should be forfeited and he himself banned from the congregation of the exiles. Then all the men of Judah and Benjamin assembled at Jerusalem within three days. It was the ninth month, on the twelfth day of the month, and all the people sat in the open square before the house of God, trembling because of this matter and because of the heavy rain. And Ezra the priest stood up and said to them, You have broken faith and married foreign women, and so increased the guilt of Israel. Now then make confession to the Lord, the God of your fathers, and do his will. "'Separate yourselves from the peoples of the land "'and from the foreign wives.' "'Then all the assembly answered with a loud voice, "'It is so. "'We must do as you have said. "'But the people are many, "'and it is the time of heavy rain. "'We cannot stand in the open, "'nor is this a task for one day or for two, "'for we have greatly transgressed in this matter. "'Let our officials stand for the holy assembly.' Let all in our cities who have taken foreign wives come at appointed times, and with them the elders and judges of every city, until the fierce wrath of our God over this matter is turned away from us. The Word of the Lord. Good
1: morning. It's good to be here uh, and be able to worship with you this morning. My name's Matt. I am an intern here and a student at Redeemer Seminary, and uh, I think this is the intern passage that they assign, you know, to get your chops going. You know, a few weeks ago, my family uh, was in Oklahoma, and we were getting together with some some dear friends, friends from our, our old church, and really, they're more than friends. Um, anytime we get together, we acknowledge that we're were really more like family. So it was kind of like a family reunion. It was a great time of uh, just getting together, seeing each other. We, we worshiped at a church together. We shared a meal together. We laughed together. We told stories. We told the same really bad jokes that we always tell when we get together. We told the same stories that we always tell. Um, we shared memories we celebrated an engagement. It was a time of joy. But it wasn't all happy. It was hard, as we also shared stories of people who are struggling with their job, possibly losing their job. It was hard to hear. We heard stories of family that was experiencing dysfunction, and, and there was separation from this family, and we prayed together and cried together. We shared stories of joy, and we shared stories of brokenness. We were together, and we, it was good to be together. It was hard to be together, but it was good to be together. And that's because we share those stories together because we are a family. In Ezra and Nehemiah, we have something like a family reunion taking place. If you remember, God's people were in exile. They had rejected God's story for their lives. The story of the nations around them seemed to be a better story. It seemed to be more enticing and alluring. And they embraced that story. And when God led his people out of bondage to, uh, or out of bondage to Egypt, and as he was leading them into this land, I mean, he, he told them, um, I, "I'm your God." He promised to love them. He promised to protect them. He was their God. They were going to be His people. He, he, it was this great picture of, of love, and I mean, just miraculous deliverance and restoration, and the people that refused to trust God for generations the Lord warned them if they kept turning away from him it would lead to exile but the people persisted they continued on in rejecting God so finally God sent the Babylonian empire against them and the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem destroyed the temple led the people off took them into exile but what we see in our story is that God was gracious After 70 years, he called them out of exile. We see God use this king, Cyrus, and the people return to Jerusalem. The temple is rebuilt. Worship for God is taking place. God is faithful to his story. God is faithful to his promises. God is saying to the people, you are still my people. I'm still your God. Rebuild the temple. Be the people I've called you to be. Remember your story. Remember who you are. Remember, I'm your God and you are my people. On the passages we just read this morning, like 50 years have, have, over 50 years, have passed since the time uh, the temple's been rebuilt and another wave of exiles are returning and we finally get to meet Ezra. And he's a scribe. He's in the line of, Priests, And we read that Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord, to do it. He had set his heart on teaching Israel God's story. And as he teaches the people about who God is and how they are to live before him, the people begin to confess their sin. They hear God's word. They hear of God's faithfulness to them. And something happens. Their sin is exposed. And it's kind of a painful passage to read. Having sin exposed is painful, isn't it? Several years ago, Amy and I ran uh, a race called the Sweetheart Run together, and uh, it was kind of around Valentine's Day, and it was brutally cold the day of the race. And um, I, I, I remember just thinking, what are we doing Oh yeah, I'm trying to win a box of chocolates for my wife. That's what I'm doing. And we ran. We were setting off to run, and there was a 30 mile an hour headwind coming out of the north. It was negative wind. I think it was about negative 10 wind chills. And I mean, I was pretty bundled up. Uh, I had you know hat on, but my face was exposed. And I just I remember running and running back. The last like two and a half miles of the race was straight into that headwind. And I remember. After the race, just I don't think I've ever been as cold in my life. And we won a box of chocolates, though. But I, I, I was warming up in this building, and my cheeks and my nose burned so bad. The, the just the, the, the frostbite. The, I could hardly stand it. Sin and guilt are like that. A part of us is exposed by the word of God, by the Holy Spirit working in our consciousness, and that exposure hurts. Sometimes it hurts so bad that we can't even stand it. Ezra is experiencing the pain and guilt of sin. I mean, he does like crazy things. He tears his clothes. He pulls out his hair and pulls out his beard. He prays. At the end of, of this confession, this prayer of confession, which we didn't read He basically says, here we are before you in our guilt, though because of it, none of us can stand in your presence. Have you ever felt so guilty that you can't stand in God's presence? Has your sin ever been so painfully exposed? Well, look at how Ezra responds to this sin. I mean, he tears off his clothes. He pulls out his beard. He throws himself on the ground. He grieves he mourns. What's going on? What is causing him such grief? What is this sin? Well, he finds out that many of the Jews who returned from exile were marrying unbelievers who lived in the lands. Can you, can you imagine? I mean, they've, they've returned. God is faithful to them. They get to come back. They're worshiping the Lord. Oh. and again, we're falling into sin. It's like the air is just being let out of the sail. Well, what's the deal with this marriage? What's the big deal? We need to remember, this is not 2016 United States of America, but this is ancient Israel. Most of these marriages were actually arranged by parents. Kids, for the most part, they're not going out, you know, choosing their spouse, but their parents were choosing spouses for them. They were arranged in order, by and large, to improve one's standing in society to strengthen the family's influence and culture. So what do you think these parents are teaching their children? They're not teaching them the commands of God. They're not teaching them to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Because that's what they were supposed to be doing. They were supposed to be doing that, talking to them when they're going by the way, sitting in the house, lying down. When you rise, you are to teach God's story to your children, to your family. This is what should shape your children's lives. But instead of being shaped by God's story, God's people are being shaped by the story of the land of Canaan. It wasn't just shaping them, it was shaping families. They're saying things like, yeah, you know, this family worship's Baal, but this will be so good for our children if we make this marriage it will strengthen our name, our influence. This will make our family prosperous and successful if we unite with this family. They actually believed they were being good parents. They believed they were doing what was best for their children, what was best for their family. We do the same thing today, don't we? We desperately want our kids to be successful. Why? Well, for me... I want to be a good parent. I want you guys to think that I'm a good parent. How much have we let the North American story of affluence and prosperity, comfort and ease shape our lives? How often do we look at others and say, ooh, I I want what they have. I want a nice house like they have. I want kids that sit still in church like theirs do. I want my kids to be successful. I know a mom in Florida who has two kids. She's a single mom, and she was really worried about her kids. You know, just worried, being a single mom. She's like, ah, this is not going to... So she got her kids in church all the time. We're, doors are open; we're there. And uh, a, a guy in the church said, "You know what? We want your kids in Christian school." And so they were in school. And and she prayed for her kids. Lord, protect my kids. And you fast forward 30 years. One of her sons is uh, extremely wealthy, and he's very influential, and 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 very successful. And he's married this beautiful lady and they've got like three beautiful kids and his name's always in the newspaper for some accomplishment or achievement or something like that. And then she has another son and he's in prison. And people from the church come up, they're like, hey, we saw your son's name in the paper. He must be so proud. She's like, no, I'm not. Let me tell you about my son in prison though. He knows Jesus. He knows Jesus now. He loves Jesus now. He's, he's actually teaching other prisoners about Jesus now. I'm so proud of my son. I'm like, no, no, no. I was talking about your other son. The one, oh, I pray for my son. Pray for him. He has no need of Jesus in his life, he doesn't see his need. And I'm like, whoa, but he's so successful. She's like, I wish, I wish that all of that success would go away so that he could see his need for Jesus. He's believing the lies of the culture. He's believing that, yeah, this will give me life. In Ezra's day, the people were believing the lies of their culture. They were marrying off their children to people who worshiped other gods. God's. And these were important families. These were the shakers and the movers in society. They were the officials. They were the chief men who were involved in this. They were, they were basically saying, you know, as for me and my house, we will serve other gods. They had let the story of the world shape their life, shape their family. Here's the deal. That's what led them into captivity in the first place. Then God, who's faithful to his promises, what does he do? He comes in and he brings restoration. He brings the people out of exile. He brings them back. They're re- the temple's rebuilt. They're worshiping. And they're doing the same thing all over again. But here's the deal. As Ezra is telling the story of God's faithfulness, it begins to awaken the people. They actually confess their sin they see the goodness of god they see his faithfulness they see his love they see their sin and they are grieved by it as they see god's faithfulness they also see their story of wandering and they're you know, prone to wander. lord i feel it prone to leave the god i love they people, they own their story of wandering. They own their sin. They own the story of their faithlessness. They come together, a very great assembly of women, men, and children. They, they, these families, they come together and they weep before God. They own their sin. They are broken by their sin. They grieve. They confess. It's interesting that Ezra is confessing sin here. He grieves. He confesses. Now, let's think about that. Ezra had not married a Canaanite woman. And think about this. When Ezra found out about the sin, you know what he didn't say? You people have sinned. You've trampled on God's mercy. Repent. That's not what he did. When he prayed, when he confessed sin, he used words like we, like our sin, our sins. He grieved as these sins were his very own. Here's the deal. Ezra was a priest and that's what a good priest does. He identifies with sinners. He represents them before God. He stands in between. He is the substitutes. He stands before God as a sinner in their place. Notice what happens. So Ezra tears his robe and he kind of pulls his hair out and he kind of just sits there for a while. He sits there appalled and trembling. And then he waits to pray, waits to confess until something happens. Until the evening sacrifice had been made. After an unblemished lamb had been slain. After that, Ezra the priest Grieving the people's sin as his sins comes to God and confesses. We have a great high priest. We have a perfect high priest. We have a priest better than Ezra. Jesus is our priest, he is our representative. He lived the perfect life for you, and he died the death you deserve to die. His Clothes were torn from him. Isaiah says his beard was pulled out. Jesus became the evening sacrifice on the cross. And he's still your, your priest. He sympathizes with you. He intercedes for you. He is for you. Even in your worst sin, even when you're a repeat offender, even as you grieve your sin, Look to Jesus. Focus on your high priest. And you may have seen the movie or read the book uh, To End All Wars uh, by Ernest Gordon. Uh, You know, it tells the story of soldiers uh, who were captured during World War II and were uh, POWs in, in Japan. And they were building a railroad to Hopefully, invade uh, India, and it was the the, the soldiers were were cr- treated horribly, cruelly, um, and and really it seemed like a hopeless situation. In fact, there were guys that came in and they, they professed faith in God, yet throughout the hopelessness of and the the, the, the situations that they were, uh, they lost hope. They said there is no hope. It was a hopeless, it was dark, it was desperate. But one day as, as the work is ending, they come back, uh, the, 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 the prisoners of war, they come back and this Japanese soldier is counting shovels. And he discovers that one shovel has been, is missing. And he goes crazy. And he lines them all up, and he starts yelling at them, you know, who stole this shovel? Who stole the shovel? And then he starts saying, all of you will die. I will kill all of you for stealing this shovel. And he pulls out his gun, and they believe it. He's going to kill all of them. And one man steps forward and says, I did it. And the soldier comes over and just starts beating him relentlessly, just beats him, beats him, beats him to death continues beating him after he's dead and he's exhausted. And the prisoners pick up this this man's body and they carry it back to camp. And when they get back to camp, there's another count of the, the shovels. And they discover that actually there wasn't a shovel missing. They were all there. This man had not stolen a shovel, but what did he do? He stepped forward and took the punishment. He gave his life so that they could live. And why did he do that? Because he loved his comrades. He loved those prisoners. you know what that did? That brought transformation to that whole community, all of those prisoners. That brought renewal. They began to have hope. It changed everything. It changed everything their lives. They began to love one another. This story of hope began to shape who they were. In Ezra, the people see God's faithfulness to them. They see his love for them, and it changes them. Their sin has been exposed by the light of God's love. It hurts, but it causes them to hate their sin. And they they take drastic measures, right? They cut off the sin that so easily entangles. Why? Because they have hope. Even now there is hope. God's faithfulness. What about you? Does Christ's love shape you? It was love that motivated Christ to die for you. That same love, it still motivates him. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Let that love free you to come and confess your sin. Let that love free you to see you need a savior. Run to Jesus. Let the good news of the gospel shape your life. Even now, there is hope. Hope in that. Latch on to that. When the guilt for something you've done is excruciating, Turn to Christ, your high priest. Find comfort in him. That's what we get to do this morning as we come to the table. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for the gift of Jesus. We thank you for your faithfulness to your story, your faithfulness to your people, that even while we were still sinners, you sent your son to be our savior. Help that love shape us. Help that love shape our lives. May we take that lives. Help that love transform the lives of our families. Help that love transform this church and this community. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.